People all around the world love sport. From playing ball in the backyard through to the Olympic and Paralympic podiums, the majority of the world's population play, watch and enjoy sport. Steve Dart from Play Hard Sports gives listeners the chance to meet people from across the world of entertainment, sports and business who are affecting the way international sport is unfolding. So, with the combination of technology, passion and great people wanting to tell their story, it gives rise to Play Hard Sports Behind the Games podcast. Behind the Games podcast is a motivational podcast with athletes, brands and sports businesses who all share their power stories to success in the business of sports. Today's guest is SportEng Brisbane principal, Dr. Mark Jennings-Temple. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Good morning, Steve. I'm very well, thank you. Mark, with 19 years of experience and as the principal of the SportEng Brisbane office, recently opened in February 2018, you're responsible for driving growth of the SportEng range of services into Queensland, New Zealand and Asia. Whilst capitalising on the incredible success of the Sport Eng company led by Jared Hill and Gray Canning and since first trading back in 2014, how does that feel to be part of that brand? It's a great experience. I'm really grateful for this opportunity that I've had. I'd, you know, I'd watched the Sport Eng brand grow and develop and um, to be part of it now and with the great team that's in Melbourne and my growing team here in Brisbane, it's, I'm having a fantastic time. It's a great experience. Who are your team in Brisbane? So there's three of us now. There's me, obviously. Um, and I've got a, a civil engineer called Patrick Beasley working for me. He's he's a really interesting guy. He is a civil engineer by training. He's a few years out of university and he's really passionate about sport. So he was very clear in his career that he wanted to work with sport and sports facilities. He took the risk. He's in a long-term relationship. He took the risk to leave um, Brisbane, head down to Melbourne and go and work with our head office staff down in Melbourne and to really learn about the industry. Um, and that was before there was any suggestion there might be a Brisbane a Brisbane office. And now at the, at the end of last year, he came and came and joined the office. So he's sort of come home uh, and he's really happy that he's back in Brisbane and working with sport. I think he, he feels like life's pretty good at the moment. And who else is there? So we've got Ayla, Ayla McDonald. She, she's our design drafter and she's, she's come into the business. She's got a sort of a background in architecture. She's actually finishing a degree um, and has got a, a really great skill set that she brings to the business in terms of a lot of our, our graphics and our, and our technical drawing capabilities. Um, and she, we actually um, first met Ayla as part of the Com Games. So she was working for the organising committee, responsible for a lot of the overlay designs and overlay work. Uh, and we came across her while we were working on the Com Games, and that conversation continued. And once she finished the contract, um, it was pretty straightforward that we were going to offer a position. That's great to hear. Actually, Sport Engine were a big part of the Commonwealth Games overlay. Um, tell me a bit about that. I know it's before your time, but what was your takeaways from that big event? Yeah, that was an incredible event for us as a company, and, and I always get a lot out of being involved in, in major events. You see sport, uh, a very different side of sport and the delivery of that sport. Um, so we were involved. We, we designed the beach volleyball court, and then we also did all of the civil engineering design work that converted Metricon Stadium into an elite athletics venue, and then designed it back out again to, to return it back to being that, that venue. Um, an incredible experience. I, I came in quite late. So my role was very much around that remediation phase, if you like, taking it back to being an AFL venue. Um, but a great experience for the company to, to sort of be involved in that delivery of such a high quality sports facility. You had some time restraints. You know, obviously, you delivered it back in within that time. Was there pressure on that for you? Did you feel that? Yeah, absolutely. The um, the process of building an athletics track within 
a, a venue like that is is extremely complicated. You know, we're bringing in base course materials. There's an asphalt layer. There's um, the actual track itself, and then removing all of that and maintaining the integrity of what is an o- the oval, and then reestablishing and reinstating the pitch is is extremely challenging. And to get the pitch right, and then there was the very tight timeframes from bump out removing the temporary stands, providing us with access, removing all the other infrastructure and bringing the pitch back in and the turf back in and getting that established in time ready for the first match. It was um, very highly organised, you know, very, all the time frames were very clear. Uh, and I think we all work well together with the contract team, with the stadium team and then us and the, and the civil contractor to really pull all that together. Uh, Cochrane Constructions Queensland was the contract team. How mm. were they to work with? Oh, they were great. Yeah, really, really passionate about delivering a high quality result, both on the main oval and on the the, the sort of practice oval outside. Um, they, yeah, really enjoyed working with them. They're a good, good bunch. And by all reports from the athletes, it was a good venue, um, good facility, good track. What you heard? Yeah, from the feedback we've had, the track itself was was very good. The warm up spaces were really good, um, and the, the actual quality of the workmanship and the quality of the finish was was very high. Great to hear. Okay, let's go deeper with Sport Engine. Experts in the planning, design and construction supervision of sports field of play with extensive experience with both natural and synthetic surfaces, having delivered fields of play both nationally and internationally. Obviously, you're taking a lot of the Sportenge brand now into Queensland, New Zealand and Asia. How do you feel about doing that as a lead? Oh, I'm really enjoying it. Um, you know, I was in New Zealand for eight and a half years before I moved to Australia. I've got a superb network over there. I know the industry very well. The people there know me very well. So it's relatively straightforward to take um, the strength, if you like, of the Sport Eng brand and take that over into into New Zealand. Um, we've got a couple of really good projects on the go, really high profile projects, some some really challenging us to think a little bit differently as well, particularly around sustainable water and st- sustainable use of water. Um, Asia's a little bit different, so I have a role with one of the major governing bodies of sport that sees me deliver workshops around the region. Um, so that gets me exposed to the region, but otherwise... It's quite challenging doing work in Asia. You have to, you know, you have to be there quite regularly, and it has quite a huge cost. Um, but there's still opportunities for us to to get up there and and do some good work. And and a lot of the regions I work with are quite poor, um, particularly the OFC region. If you think about football, so you've got all the Cook Islands and and the sort of Pacific Island nations. Um, so it feels really rewarding to be able to assist them to make some good decisions and use their money very wisely. Let's talk about New Zealand. It's renowned for its seismic activity. How does that change things from a design point of view? From a design point of view, um, where I did the bulk of my work in Auckland, it doesn't really change a great deal. Um, And in fact, even down in sort of Christchurch and the areas that are being more affected by the earthquake, there's, there's not a huge amount you can do around the infrastructure itself. You know, we're talking about hollow chambers, air-filled spaces predominantly, and if there's an earthquake and there's seismic activity, they're invariably going to rise to the surface and they just don't have the mass to hold them down. And it's just, it's a, it's an unfortunate side effect, really. Um, the challenge then comes with remediating those surf- sur- surfaces afterwards and all of the services that are in there and seeing what we can retain, if, if anything, after, after a major event. Okay. Let's talk about your history, especially your education. Um, early days, 1994 to 1997, three years at Bangor University of Wales, Bangor, UK. Um, Honours in agroforestry. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, agroforestry is kind of an interesting one. I often just introduce it as agriculture and forestry because agroforestry is kind of hard to picture what that is. Um, 
what it really gave me is a fantastic grounding in a lot of the sciences. So agriculture, forestry, soil science, water management, crop science, biology, plant biology. Uh, it gave me that grounding across such a broad range of topics and not only on the individual topics, but on how they interact as well. So I, th- I feel like it gave me a, a really um, clever way, if you like, to think about how systems and processes all fit together and what the interactions are and, and how things are often linked and looking for those those linkages and those knock-on effects when you start looking at one thing, understanding that it has huge impact on other things as well. And so that sort of broad topic base, I think, has been really useful as I've sort of progressed in my career. All right. Tell me about the next stage, which was Cranfield University at Bedfordshire. You got into uh, water management, soil and water engineering. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah. So um, what I effectively did was tease out the bits I most enjoyed from my first degree and and, and went and studied that in in a bit more detail in my master's degree. So this was all around um, or very much focused on water management, sustainable water use, understanding how water interacts with soil, how plants interact with that water within the soil and really how we can manage that water resource, which is one of the sort of key uh, pieces of a sustainable water management strategy, if you like, is using what you've got as effectively as you can. And so uh, it really gave me and taught me those principles on how to optimise your water use and water management in the context of soil science and soil physics. Cranfield University, 2001 to 2005 for four years, engineering doctorate, research engineering, soil science, sports field, plain quality. Tell me about that. That sounds like an exciting part of your life there. No, it was a big part of my life. It's, um, it was quite stressful. You know, it's not often you get given a topic to, to go and work on and to say, come back in four years with an answer. Mm. Of course, there was interaction along the way, but it is quite challenging. It can be quite a lonely experience. Um, but an incredible- why, why do you say that? Well, there's not many other people that do doctorate programs. Okay. And there's no one else doing it in what you're doing it in. That's the whole point. So- it's quite hard to um, sort of share your experiences with people and people for people to really understand what you're doing. Okay. And it's, it's quite a stressful process. Yeah, I, I certainly found it very stressful as much as I did very rewarding and very enjoyable. Um, I was quite glad it was over, but I'm really proud that I have it and I, that I pushed on and, and did it. Um, but it was a tough four years, and but it really um, got me exposed to sport at a high level. My doctorate research used a lot of the elite, venues around the UK, soccer venues, football venues, uh, Premier League venues primarily. Um, and so I, I visited them regularly throughout that four-year period, collecting a lot of data and then analyse that data at the end. What were your friends doing around that time? I'd got friends doing a whole host of different things. People, okay. A lot of my friends had sort of finished after their first degree, finished studying after their first degree, and then they were sort of progressing with their career. And I think that's one of the things that made studying for the doctorate quite hard is watching friends earning money, enjoying having some money in their pockets, going and traveling, going, doing things and kind of getting on with life. And I, and it can often feel particularly as I sort of went straight through the process of study, um, you're sort of in limbo a little bit. You sort of, you, you want that, but you have to sort of wait till you're finished. In 2006, you started sports service consultant for four years. How was that? That was a, a, an amazing experience. So I was working, um, with a guy called Dr. Richard Gibbs. He's an English guy, but been out in New Zealand for a long time. And uh, I'd been using his science papers and his books and that sort of thing as part of my doctorate studies. So when the opportunity came up to go and, go and work with him, I, I obviously didn't hesitate. It's a long way to go, half, moving halfway around the world. Absolutely. But he really gave me that first opportunity and, and gave me that grounding in, in sort of 
turf and turf management and really understanding what we how we deliver this sort of science-based knowledge and how we deliver that to clients. 2010, Sports Services and Facilities Consultant down in New Zealand in Auckland. Mm. How was that? Yeah, well, this was this was still in Auckland, so I, I, I sort of jumped ship, if you like. I got an okay. opportunity to run um, a sort of a turf division within a multidisciplinary civil engineering company. They recognised that that capability capability would bring in work for the rest of the team it would bring in survey work geotech work civil engineering work so i sort of head up headed up that team it was only really a team of one um but started to sort of establish that company in the in the turf space and the sports surface space 2012 owner of principal consult renovate turf consultants auckland that was two years. Then you went 2014 Director of Operations Asia Pacific STRI, which is Sports Turf Research Institute in Brisbane. Mm. It sounds like exciting times as well. Yeah, so I had two and a bit years running my own business and it had gone really well. Um, I definitely felt like I needed another challenge. And so running my own business is a great way to step out of your comfort zone yeah. and you have to learn a whole load of new skills that your science-based background is not does not give you. So I really enjoyed it. But at the same time... Um, well, actually, as a result of that, I think it got the interest of, of another company, this British company that was looking for somebody to run their Brisbane uh, operation. And that operation actually covered all of Asia Pacific. So I sort of approached them and said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm keen. Um, I'd had eight and a half years in New Zealand. I loved it, but I was certainly ready for the, for the next challenge. Um, and then being exposed to a research organization, we have a, had a research station we were doing work all over the world. It was it was really that move in 2014 that that really changed the sort of course of my career, if you like. You ended up going on to Sportinge as the principal for Brisbane for one year and eight months. Mm. How did that come about? Yeah, that's quite an interesting story. So the the the, the previous role was very challenging, particularly in terms of how much I was away, and sort of still expected obviously to run a business in Australia where there was two offices and staff while also being away and on the road quite a lot. And it, it became quite challenging to, to juggle it all. Um, so I was looking for something a bit different and I was looking for something that was a bit more focused on, on Australia or a bit more local. And at the same time, I'd watched this company sport Eng grow really out of nothing. Um, I'd been around in Australia three or four years by this point, And I'd seen just how, Quickly, they SportEng had become embedded in the industry, the sort of projects they were working on. And what really attracted me to SportEng as well, this is from when I was really on the outside looking in, was that they weren't just turf and grass. You know, they're civil engineers, so we get, they were getting involved in the athletics track, the Deakin University sort of projects and, and hard courts and, and all sports and you know, all fields of play. Uh, and that really appealed to me, that it gave me, particularly at this point in my career, another step you know, suddenly I'm dealing with more surfaces, different surfaces, engaging with engineers. And, you know, I, I, the ability to grow and learn again was, was really important. So how did you actually meet Jared? That was um, a deliberate meeting. Yep. So we'd interacted a few times at conferences. We knew each, who each other were, but we'd never really spoken properly. Yep. And I got in touch with him one day and said, um, why don't we catch up for a coffee? So there was sort of half an hour of just sort of niceties and just sort of chewing the fat, talking about the weather with him probably thinking, why, why is he called this meeting? Yeah. And um, 
And I said, after about half an hour, look, there's a reason why I'm here and I'm, I'm looking for another opportunity. I've watched you guys grow and I'm really keen to see if you would be interested in expanding the business. I don't want to move to Melbourne, but um, would you be interested in opening an office and supporting me open an office in Brisbane? And so you seeded that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was... It was um, it's interesting. Yeah, very deliberate. Okay. And he said... He said, yeah, that sounds great. I love that. So yeah, sort of six months of planning and talking and... Yeah, February. Said, I'll check with Gray. Yeah. I oh, know, I think it was I'll tell Gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what have you found obviously getting around Gray and Jared, how they operate businesses and what what have you learned and what have you you helped deliver for them? Well, I think I brought a reasonable amount of sort of business acumen, if you like. I learned as challenging as my previous role was, I learned a heck of a lot from the CEO and I reported directly into the board. So I understood how to report business performance and what was expected. I learned a huge amount in that role and I ran my own business as well. So I was very confident in terms of building a business, developing a business, going out and winning work. And then what I learned from Jared and Gray is, you know, the importance of all those underlying processes and systems and detail and getting it right and getting the engineering right. And Jared and Gray are great characters. They're quite different. Gray is, is very technical, very focused on delivering high quality work. The quality control person it's as a result of him that we deliver such good quality work primarily. Like he's, that's his passion. And then Jared is a, um, he's extremely passionate about the sport and the industry. And he's great at getting out there and building those relationships with clients. And I've learned, I've learned a lot from Jared in terms of the way that he, he develops the business and, and develops business with clients and, and finds opportunities and gets excited about that with them. What's the sport Inge brand like in the market now? I think my, my opinion is it's very strong. I think we, we've we emerged out from being considered a Melbourne business now to being an Australian business. I think just having another office helps that. Um, we're looking at um, Sydney very seriously. It makes sense. Um, we've got uh, additional office in Warren just outside Melbourne. Um, that's really to uh, help staff commute a bit less. It's better for them to feel a bit more settled and not spending so much time in traffic, uh, but still able to to do their job and do their work. Um, so we really, I feel like we're really growing and spreading. And, and in fact, the Melbourne business has just taken on two more staff. So, what is the culture of Sport Eng? What are you guys searching for? You're there to deliver, obviously, good experiences for the staff, but you're there to what to educate the market and what's what's coming. I think it's important that we do that. I think we always have to go and sit down with clients and be able to present something new or something different or an alternative approach or or bring an experience from somewhere else. Otherwise, I think we'd fail to keep our relevance. I think it's really important that we do maintain um, a position at the forefront of what's happening in the industry and we understand innovation and we also look across sectors and see if there's any innovations that we can bring into the field of play industry and, and, the, and particularly as we're dealing with so many different sports, so many different services, so many different technologies, there's always crossover from other, other sports. Is there any innovation that's, that's top of mind at the moment that you guys are looking at or can you share with that? Yeah, we often don't create those things ourselves, but we certainly look for technologies that are being used in other parts of the world or other industries and see if we can apply them into into sport. And I say I think the key one at the moment is anything around water and water management and water use, um, particularly around uh, with natural turf. Natural turf is often sort of seen as the bad guy, requires a lot of water, there's always irrigation required. So um, we're looking at a few technologies now, um, both in a project here and a project in New Zealand where it's a much more sustainable use of the water, capturing, reuse, 
um, treating on site, not putting straight out into the drains and actually um, minimizing our draw off the main supply of the town supply water. Uh, and I think that's a really exciting, very exciting. It is very exciting. And it has yeah. a huge amount of potential, not just in sport, but in passive areas, you know, irrigating from below ground is always more effective. So um, you use a lot less water when you do it that way. Let's talk about the synthetic grass that's coming into the market now. You've just finished Mitchelton. Um, obviously, that's been a signature product for the Council of Brisbane. Um, tell me a bit about um, your view on that. My my view on synthetic turf yeah. and how I feel about where that sort of fits. Yeah, yeah. look, I, I would be, you know, particularly as my background is natural turf, I'd be pretty upset if the whole world was suddenly covered in plastic grass. But um, I'm also a firm believer that it has a really important part to play in a community's or a local government's overall strategy around sport and sport delivery. Um, synthetic turf provides something that natural turf cannot in terms of hours of use, all-weather play, always available um, and I think it's really important that as a community, there's an option for playing on high quality surfaces and high, and and giving people the opportunity to play and play sport and to run around both from a physical and a mental health point of view. And where land is at a premium and we can't just build more fields, we have to make the fields we've got work harder and deliver more hours of use. And the most effective way to do that is with synthetic grass. So for me, a good sports strategy for a community would have natural turf fields and synthetic turf fields in in key locations to satisfy that that demand on use and what do synthetic fields do for uh, a mature player who can play on it a bit longer he's not as sore because of the shock pad and and things like that is that what your view is as well yeah that's definitely my view and it's certainly the experience say at mitchelton you know there's there's always a few people opposed to these things or they're a bit unsure about this new technology, but actually it's, you know, the master's grade players in particular, the men and women that are in their late thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, still playing. What they're finding when they come off these synthetic turf fields is they're not as sore. Um, they're not struggling with injuries and the surface is so uniform, so consistent. Mm. They can play the game as they want it. It's, mm. it's, it's a predictable amount of ball roll, ball bounce, and they get a much more enjoyable game out of it. Uh, and they're not suffering days afterwards i remember when the opening of mitchelton and there was uh, a couple of uh, junior games on there and one of the fathers said that his son was going to have to wear a full suit because he wasn't sure what was going to be the effect of the grass if he slid but he was quite surprised how natural it felt yeah so there's a lot of misconceptions about synthetic turf there is um any others you can touch on that you've sort of qualified that hasn't been true well um, there's issues around heat. There's issues around environmental issues. I mean, they're, they're probably entire podcasts for themselves. Sure. But ultimately, um, people are often very surprised when they get to run around and play on them and they realise just how natural they feel, how good a game you can get on them. Um, you know, the major governing bodies of the world are all supporting synthetic turf and synthetic turf use, um, even at elite level and world-class level. And there's a reason for that because you can actually get a very high-quality game of sport on them as well as... They can provide that um, reliable, consistent training surface that can just take a heck of a lot of use. Well said. Your agronomic expertise, science of sport field play quality, has been uh, a big part of your work nationally and globally on some of the world's highest profile tournaments, including the 2014 Football World Cup in Brazil, 2015 World Women's World Cup in Canada, 2016 Olympics Brazil, and the 2015-16-17 editions of the International Champions Cup in China and Singapore. Which was your most memorable and why out of those? Look, each one of those were 
incredible opportunities and I'm, I'm be forever grateful for the opportunity for, that each of them gave me to, to go and attend those events and be part of those events. But for me, the, the world cup, the senior men's world cup in Brazil would be the standout one. You know, I, it was a life changing career changing. It was the first time for me to travel as a, as an expert, if you like, and be embedded within a culture. And in particular, in this sense, I was there two and a half months, um, which is, you know, a heck of a long time really. Um, and I really felt that it challenged me. I went over there with a certain degree of knowledge and I think I came back with a heck of a lot more. And I think they learned from me and it was really important for me that I was going to go there and not just give knowledge, but also to come back and having learned something and, and learned a different way of doing things and different chemicals and different uh, conditions. And, and I, I, it was, a, it was an incredible experience. Yeah. You're really passionate about sharing your knowledge, which is great to see. You're always, um, at the forefront of engaging with public speaking and things like that. Is it, do you like public speaking? Yeah, I do enjoy public speaking. I think um, it's, for me, one of the sort of cornerstones for success is about being able to communicate what you know and communicate it well. Um, so it was important for me to be able to communicate what I know and learn either in a scientific paper, either in a in a trade journal article, whether it's in a conference presentation. It's really important for me to be able to communicate that back to the industry and have that dialogue with industry. You're a pretty proficient mountain biker, recreational. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so it's funny, I deal with a whole load of fields of play, but I don't really play any of those sports. I mean, I love watching them, but I, I certainly didn't, never had the skill to, to, to play. And I found cycling at a pretty young age. It was my sort of escape, my release, my sort of escape from home, my bit of freedom, you know, grab my wheels and, and go. Uh, and I've just kept, I've kept that. So I ride road bikes, I ride mountain bikes, and I enjoy the competitive element of it as well. Um, I recently completed a four-day mountain bike race up in Cairns and Port Douglas. And, you know, my team partner and I, we came third in our age group and we really pushed each other really hard. But we were also a great team. It was really interesting team dynamic. We supported each other. We communicated our expectations. Um, we both had strengths and weaknesses, which we capitalized on. And, and it, was a, it was a fantastic experience. Is it something that you've uh, always had a passion for? Or is it just since you've been in Australia? Mountain biking, mm. uh, probably since I was about 14. Okay. Yeah, so I've raced and ridden. I've been quite lucky. I, I often take my bike with me when I go somewhere, okay. and I, I've raced and ridden all over the world. Yeah. That's great. With uh, Sports Eng, uh, I did my first podcast with Jared Hill uh, a little while ago, and uh, he's a pretty uh, intuitive guy. What, what, what are some of the takeaways that he's given you as far as uh, with the office here and uh, how have you sort of fallen in behind some of his values? I think the what I find really interesting about Jared is he's not afraid to take a few risks. He can see the big picture very quickly. Um, he was very happy to invest in this office up here. He was very happy to support its growth. He can see what's required to continue that growth and he's prepared to invest in it even if the outcome isn't always immediately available. So his his confidence his um, commitment to the business is really, it's really inspiring and it really gets you behind him and gets behind his vision. And I think that's, that's really been one of the key takeaways for me. What's Dean Holden's um, part of the company? So Dean was sort of joined the business around the same time as me uh, and his role is general manager. Yep. So he sort of sits kind of between Jared Gray as the two directors and yep. then the rest of the staff. And he's, he's the guy that, um, 
force you know forces us to fill in our timesheets and <laughs> gets us to do all those process things and all he does all the business analytics and the financial analytics and he really reports on the business and manages the business from a human resource point of view yeah. from a um, operations point of view and it just relieved Jared and Gray of some of that day-to-day management and allowed Jared to really focus on you know quality control on certain projects but primarily business development and then it really freed up Gray to really focus on those the technical delivery and the quality control. So Dean's been a fantastic addition to the business and has really fitted into that role you know, very well. Parks and Leisure Australia Queensland hosted a turf maintenance workshop at AFL Queensland. Can you share some any valuable insights on that event you attended? That was a great event. Actually, we had a, I was involved in organising that day as well. Yeah. And in fact, we're about to do another one this month. Um, and what we were able to do is bring in a range of experts from the industry. Uh, I guess even some people you'd consider competitors of ours but you know these days are meant to be for everybody to learn from um certainly we don't protect them in any way Uh, we are sponsors of the organization as well and those days are there to assist the clubs to raise the quality of their surfaces so we have experts on irrigation we have experts on setting up equipment and machinery we have experts on chemicals and the different types of chemicals that might need to help um, manage their turf and and i think Um, It was great to see how the industry came together so well and then were able to communicate all these different ideas and technologies and approaches back to the clubs so that they could take some of that away and then use it to improve the quality of their facilities. Mark, how does – you've obviously got family back in the UK. Um, How long has it been since you've seen them? I have actually been back to the UK a couple of times recently, so I last saw them in July. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm I'm here on my own. My family are, are back in England, um, well, UK, I suppose, and um, my parents are planning to come out in December, which I'm looking forward to. Yep. You got brothers and sisters? Yeah, so I've got two younger brothers. Yep. Um, one of them's over in Dublin, in Ireland. One of them's still fairly near sort of the family base. Um, both married. Uh, youngest brother has four kids. You know, there's cousins, aunties, uncles. There's, there's a great sort of crew back in the UK, and I, I really enjoy catching up with them when I go back. Yep. What do you what do you like about the Australian culture? I like how open it is, how relaxed it is. I like how we can take advantage of the great weather, and we and we do. We you know it's a very outdoorsy based sort of culture. Yep. Um, I just like how warm and friendly everybody is, and and very accepting. It's it's a great culture. It's a great place to live. Mark, I always ask my guests this: if you could place a call back to a time when you were twenty. What advice would you give to that, Mark, then? I think I'd probably say, um, sort of, don't worry. You know, I, I was at 20 years old. I was coming up to the end of my degree. I wasn't really sure where I was heading or what I was doing. I wasn't sure what the next steps would be. And I certainly had no idea what the subsequent steps would be. And I think it would be a conversation to say, look, don't worry. You know, you've got this. It's all going to work out pretty well. Sort of follow your nose, follow your heart, follow your passion. And uh, you'll, you'll get there. And what about 20 years ahead? What advice would you have given to yourself if you listen back to this and if you were correct of what you thought? I think the advice would be to keep being brave. I think I've got to where I've got to now by taking a few risks, you know, setting up my own business, stepping out, you know, approaching SportEnge, talking about setting up this office. And I think a lot of that good stuff happens perhaps on the outside of your comfort zone. And so I'd be telling myself, look, keep being brave, keep pushing the boundaries, keep looking for something new, never stop learning. Uh, and it'll all work out. What sort of legacy do you want to leave? I'd like to leave a legacy where um, we've really 
helped communities and community sport to improve where we sport has a huge role to play in the health physical and mental health of our communities and so that if that legacy can be to have left behind a, a network of sports facilities that encourages people to play that entices people to get out of their houses and to get into um into a sport of some kind but whether it's a formal sport whether it's just going down there with a group of friends and kicking a ball around i think having high quality surfaces and sports facilities that people can go and enjoy and and support the growth of sport for those uh, and the growth of skills for those that really want to get into the sport i think that's really important and how do you feel at the moment there's a lot of participation with uh, females and women coming into sports it's great to see it happening what's your take on that it's an interesting one. I, it feels weird that it's even a conversation topic. You know, I mean, I think people should play sport. It shouldn't matter whether you're male or female. And, and while it's great to sort of high five each other and slap each other on the back that we've now got facilities for women, it's kind of sad that we are having to high five each other that we're now exactly. thinking about facilities for women. Yep. Um, you know, we're involved in a major project here in Brisbane where the focus will be around a playing and match venue for female sport. You know, and it's fantastic to see that it's been given that much attention. Um, it just feels like it's long overdue. Yeah, it feels a bit weird that we've taken this long, as you said, to get female change rooms to be adequate mm. for what they need. Exactly. Uh, is it just been, we just haven't thought about it as uh, the males? Possibly. And I think perhaps we haven't created a culture within our clubs that has encouraged women and girls to come and play. And, you know, I think when you look back and think, why haven't we got so many women playing? And the answer is, well, we need to create an environment where they can come and play. Yeah then I think perhaps that's where we've fallen down in the past. And, and that's perhaps the really positive outcome from this, that we're providing facilities that will encourage young women and girls to say, actually, I would like to have a go at AFL. And there is a changing room that's nice and clean that I can go Absolutely. in and a bunch of boys haven't made disgusting. Yep. So it's great that we are now doing it. And I think it's great for the growth of the sport. I just, sometimes it's a little baffling to think it's taken so long for us to get to this point. Great positive note to finish on. Mark, we really appreciate your time and wish you all the best. Thanks for uh, being on Behind the Games podcast and thanks very much and good luck. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks for being, having me on the show. Thank you.